1: want to know what was happening outside of the WWF in late 1999. Sponsors were running away from the World Wrestling Federation like they had the plague due to their mature content. And then how did the last Raw of November 99 end with Triple H apparently drugging Stephanie McMahon and marrying her against her will. So those two things I just said definitely go together. This was pushed forward thanks to the Parent Teacher Council who went after Vince McMahon in late 1999 and of course would also give birth to the R2C or the Right to Censor Group that debuted in July 2000. But who cares about that? Because WWF lost Mars, WWF lost Coca-Cola, WWF lost AT&T, and WWF even lost the US Army. Alarm bells started to ring, so Vince McMahon made sure to put a statement out there on the 27th of November, 1999, saying, hey, we've heard you, we're going to take a step back from this content. And then we got to November 29, 1999. And like I say, we still had this angle. McMahon had also said there was going to be less aggression, less colourful language, less sexuality and less controversial characters. <laughs> and then around about three years later, Triple H would be pretending to have sex with a dead body sadly we are going to get there one day on retro ups and downs and i am not looking forward to it there was justification for all of this though because at the end of the statement it read on smackdown that's right raw was a flagship show raw was doing crazy ratings so we ain't going to touch that cash cow but when it comes to the blue brand sure we'll make it more pg and what does that even mean i mean if you go and look now and kind of dig in between the lines really it just meant that the godfather and his hoes may not turn up on SmackDown all that much anymore. WCW loved this too, because Turner's standard of practices has stopped them from doing anything edgy, something Eric Bischoff said was going to cost them the competition. And while I will leave it here, I'm not going to do that before I have read to you the letter Vincent Kennedy McMahon actually sent to advertisers at the time. Okay, right, these are his words not mine, it's out there if you need to verify it. The Parents Teacher Council is not about parents and it is not a council, it is a fictitious name, utilised and controlled by a right-wing zealot named L. Brent Bozzle III to masquerade his personal extreme views under the ruse that the council is a representative group of parents monitoring television on behalf of children. Bozzle is the son of the speechwriter for former Senator Joseph McCarthy and evidently has appointed himself some finely tuned collaborator of what is fit for all to see. Using McCarthy smear tactics, Bozal has attacked programs like the cartoon show Captain Planet and the Planeteers because it seeks to indoctrinate children and scare them into leftist political activism, has stated that the media panders to gays, that Bryant Gumbel is an insufferable leftist and that Nelson Mandela is the leader of a terrorist movement. Bozal has been on a holy g-hand for over a year attempting to get Howard Stern off the air, all the while writing a column for a newspaper owned by the Moody's. Bozal's actions have caused at least he's one advisory board member to resign, calling him overzealous and out of line. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you try to be the good guy, I won't send that letter. It was also a time where style cold Steve Austin was about to undergo major surgery in order to prolong his career. Whereas Mick Foley realizes that he was in the twilight of his because his body just hurt from all the crazy things he had done. So there you go, that's what was going down over 20 years ago, which is terrifying, and WCW, a few weeks before this, had their WCW Mayhem pay-per-view, where Bret Hart became the world champion. I think four matches got a minor star rating in the Wrestling Observer newsletter, and somebody called Trish Stratus was backstage at the event. I wonder whatever happened to her. I mean, we know, (laughs) just being an idiot... Let's up those doubts. Man, this Raw starts so weirdly because out comes the Big Show and he's the WWF champion. I don't know why this surprises me so much, but I guess the rhetoric nowadays is that Paul White had debuted at the St. Valentine's Day massacre and had a crappy few years, but here we are, like, what, six, seven, eight months later, and he's the guy. It's also because Kane arrives looking scary as all hell, but he is accompanied by Tory as Jim Ross tells us, oh, here's Kane with his first ever girlfriend. What the hell are we doing? You've got this serial killer looking dude and you want me to invest in his relationship? Also, if you do care, Kane is absolutely massive here. But even with all of that, the highlight is still the big boss man and viscera's entrance music. They both just have wrestling entrance theme one and wrestling entrance theme two. And I loved this so much as a kid, that when I used to walk in a room, I would sing it. So I'd go through a door and I'd just go dun, 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 dun and celebrate like I was on the top turnbuckle. Then I notice my mum looking at me really disappointingly. These were good times. To really underline how old this is too, JR tells us they're in the brand new Staples Center here in Los Angeles. And of course, because it is an Attitude Era Raw, the first match, which is this tag team match, lasts no more than 120 seconds. It also finishes with nonsense because X-Pac just runs in there, and attacks Kane, hits him with a chair before giving him an X-factor. So Big Vis then splashes him and he gets the one, two, three. And the ref there goes, all right, well, I guess I'll count to three. He was paying no attention. He was just goofing around on the outside. Honestly, it may be funny, but it's also crap down. Just to remind us what time period we're in then too, X-Pac spits in Tory's face and then kicks her right in the head. I mean, I suppose if you want to make somebody an asshole, that's a way to do it. And from the very start of Raw, with all the music and the entrance and the pyro and Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler to the end of this, we have only lost seven minutes because why the hell would you want to see a wrestling match on a wrestling show? We cut to a video about testing Stephanie McMahon's growing love after this. And what a pile of absolute rubbish. Why the hell did we ever let WWE get away with this? And why the hell did I forget about everything with the British Bulldog? Because he was backstage and he's yelling at Vince McMahon. He's so mad he gets a trash can and he just throws it. He's also apparently blind because he doesn't see Stephanie McMahon. She gets twonked on the head and that causes some sort of amnesia where she forgets she's in love with test before a few weeks went past and she went oh yeah i'm in love with test why don't we watch this we're all idiots it didn't make a blind bit of difference she's still marrying him we then get some major teasing about how this episode of raw is going to end because outcome degeneration x and don't forget here they're the bad guys and triple h was slowly transitioning from leader of the group into the game but yeah he gets to the microphone and says don't worry that wedding ain't gonna happen And well, he would know. The eggs have also got a temporary restraining order against Vince McMahon because he's been making their life a living hell and this stuff, it just never works. Good guy Vince is just never believable at all. So I was sat there going, I hope they all get screwed. McMahon soon interrupts and we find out what the father of the bride is giving his brand new son-in-law as a wedding present. And it's a match against Triple H. I mean, what a crappy gift Why couldn't you have just bought him Skeletrics or something? Apparently the rest of D-Generation X also need a gift, so McManson's gonna be those three taking on the rock, mankind and a mystery partner, and he finishes by saying, if anybody interferes in the wedding later, they are going to get fired. And he never lived up to that thing either now, did he? And look, like a lot of stuff from the attitude era, this is all fine and somewhat entertaining, but it just goes so damn long. You could have wrapped this up in five minutes, but Triple H talks for about 32 of them. Then Vince McMahon comes out and he has to talk for another 32. And I'm like, dude, I could have wrapped this up so quick and I could have been out of here. For that reason alone, he's got to get it down. Al Snow is then talking to Head because he knows that he will be selected as the mystery tag team partner of The rock and Mankind. This is why I love wrestling. You just say sentences that you'd never be able to say in any other walk of life. It was that Edge versus Matt Hardy. And think of that, if only they could have looked into the future. Although it actually does feature another woman here, because Terry is in the corner of Matt Hardy, because this was during a time when WWE were obsessed of giving the Hardy Boys managers, and Terry Reynolds was the latest. It is also pure nonsense, and once more doesn't go more than two minutes, even though the previous talking segment went around 142 hours. And of course, at one point, they just collide into the cameraman, because we needed some kind of ludicrous spot so that Jeff Hardy and Christian could get involved. So yeah, they get involved. The rest, like, I don't care. If the one before didn't, why would I? Edge uses all this art to hit the edge and get the win. So I suppose you could say it's a distraction finish. But these are one of these matches where I really like retro ups and downs. It's not the best thing you're ever going to see. But you could already smell the chemistry between these two guys. And because of that, I was very sports entertained. It was like looking through an old magnifying glass. Whatever that means, up. We also got an advert for WrestleMania 2000 on the Nintendo 64 before this, and that just made me feel all warm and fuzzy in my tum tum. And here's a controversial hot take as well. I actually think that WrestleMania 2000 is a better game than No Mercy, but only because WrestleMania 2000 came first, and it was the first WWF game to use the WCW versus the NWR engine. And that just blew my mind as a child I mean, you could have come up to me and said, hey, you're a millionaire. I'd be like, I don't care. I just want a WWF game on that Aki engine. So when I got it, I can tell you, backflips. Even though it cost like 75 quid. We then start to see Stephanie McMahon's bachelor party play out. And there's just a bunch of random people as well as Moolah and Mae Young. And they start playing truth or dare. And then out comes China.
0: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving all of in June. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: She is the Intercontinental Champion, which remains a big deal in 2021 because no other woman ever can ever say they've lived up to that feat. And this was also during that time where the cat or Miss Kinney, or whatever the hell we were calling her was like mini China. And I don't think anybody ever told me why. The ninth wonder of the world was also feuding with Chris Jericho here and told us that she's over all the dastardly things that Y2J has done because recently she had got a hammer and smacked him in the head. Chris Jericho is then soon out to confront her and say this road is Thanksgiving. I was like, bro, if this only ruined your Thanksgiving, you should be the happiest man alive. If anybody else got twonked in the head with a hammer, they would be dead. Doesn't really go anywhere from there, because obviously it's just built into their match at the pay-per-view that was going to go down around about three weeks. And the best story from their feud is that Vince McMahon told Chris Jericho, Hey Chris, you're going to work like China, and I don't want you to take it easy on her just because she's a woman. So he didn't, he accidentally clocked her, gave her a black eye. So when he went to the back, Vince McMahon went, I can't believe you did that to a woman and Chris Jericho got punished. Doesn't it sound like a fun place to work? We also go back to Steph's party after this and they're just getting drunk. I mean, that's it. I doubt I got anything from it back in 1999 and I didn't get anything from it now in 2021. And it's then The Godfather versus Steve Blackman. I mean, what flubbing chance did they have down? A shout out to Steve Blackman as always for being the best wrestler that nobody ever talks about anymore. And I timed this one because I'm a massive nerd. It only goes one minute, one second. And then it just ends when Steve Blackman kicks the Godfather in the face. And I think he just lays down and gets pinned because he's like, you know what? I ain't even bothered. Straight afterwards, we're then watching the Acolytes take on the newly signed Dudley Boys at a poker game and we honestly may have had a huge sign on the screen that reads, we are trying to fill time. This episode of Raw is only about the wedding, but we have to leave that to the end of the show because we're in a ratings war with WCW. That's quite a lot of words. You would need a very big sign. You also come out of that and you go back to Stephanie's party where they're all wasted and Mae Young is chopping at her crotch. That's a thing. I saw it again, I never want to see it again. We go back to Al Snow after this, and he's trying to convince mankind to allow him to be the mystery partner, even though he hates The Rock. And I actually always enjoyed this storyline, especially, it didn't happen on this episode of Raw, but when Al So threw away a copy of Mick Foley's book and then blamed it on The Great One, and obviously that caused the breakup of the Rock and Sock connection, that was some good narrative. But forget about that, because Too Cool versus The Hollies was next, and that's right, it went... 53 seconds down the pre-match promo goes longer than the match itself because hardcore holly comes out and goes oh rikishi you're already fat and rikishi's like bro this is like not, not news it's not gonna be a newspaper headline or anything like that and afterwards it essentially goes like this crash gets in the ring he gets hit with the worm he gets hit with the trash compactor and then he just gets pinned i mean if you were left to go and make a sandwich by the time you would have come back, you would have been on a completely different segment of Raw. To get his revenge, Big Quiche gives Hardcore Holly a bonsai drop. And then it really is quite the sight just to see three dudes dancing away as an LA crowd goes absolutely wild. I mean, that was really the level of depth we were dealing with here. And yet everybody, me included, flipping loves this. Honestly, gets one of the biggest pops of the night, maybe even the third biggest. I mean, I think the first is The Rock when he arrives, and the second may actually be to China... And then we go back to Stephanie McMahon's bachelorette party, and the stripper is here, and Mae Young is all like, hey stripper, come over here and put your penis in my face. I ain't write it, I'm just telling you. We then get to Triple H versus Test. Now there is plenty of intrigue here, because they are part of a major storyline, but almost instantly it just has to be bizarre because the referee is a guy dressed up as Vince McMahon, like he's wearing a Vince McMahon mask. Imagine you'd never watched Raw before. You would have just assumed, oh, I guess the officials in the match dress up like characters, but then you would have gone, but that hasn't happened at all throughout the rest of the night. What the hell was happening in the Attitude Era? Triple H also murders Test during this, or at least that's how it's set up. Like he even has him beat after a face facebuster. So he's not even using the pedigree, and of course the referee won't count because we're meant to think it's Vince McMahon, and Vince McMahon wants to screw over Triple H. This pisses the game off no end, though, so he tries to unmask Vince McMahon, but he isn't able to do it because instead Shane McMahon comes out in his tux. Honestly, tears, tears of laughter with all of this. He hits Triple H with a chair. Test then hits a. Big elbow drop and he gets the one, two, three. And if that was meant to make me go, oh wow, Tess got a win over Triple H, it didn't. It made Tess look an absolute goof, which was only going to get worse before Raw went off air. It's also made to celebrate like it is a major victory, and honestly, no wonder Andrew Martin never reached the heights we had planned for him, and it has to get it down. Definitely my man was then drinking a shot back at her party. At the time, I was like, okay, why do I care about this? but it actually does tie into a plot point later on. And then Triple H is yelling at the police, going, oh, you've got to arrest Vince McMahon, because, of course, he thinks that Vince McMahon was Vince McMahon in his match. Thankfully, McMahon has an alibi in Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe, and throughout that match, we've been cutting to those two stooges, going, hey, Vince, you really need to watch this, although you never saw Vince. And I think, really, if the police sat down and looked at all that evidence, they would probably take McMahon in for questioning. It is not a very good alibi. We then get the worst part of Raw, and that's probably me being nice. So in a rarity, what I'm gonna do is I'm just going to read you what happened literally, because I think it absolves me just a little bit. Right, you ready? Again, me just reading here. This is what happened, no word of a lie. We get a video from SmackDown, where Ivory and Jackie, with Miss Kitty as the referee, were having a gravy pool match. Miss Kitty was then thrown in the gravy bowl where a mushroom got lodged in her mouth before an EMT saved her life. Ivory didn't like this, as I'm sure she wanted Miss Kitty to die, so she went and took off the shirt of said EMT. The EMT then debuts on tonight's Raw, and her name is Barbara Bush, but please call her BB. And despite being a local medical facility worker, She now wants to have an evening gown match with Ivory. Ivory arrives and she insults BB before a bunch of clothes are taking off. And honestly, all of this is miles more awkward than you think it is. Especially when Michael Cole, who looks like he just popped out of his mother's womb, is hosting all of this and has to say, oh, BB, you must be so embarrassed about all of this because you were in your bra and we saw you in your bra. I mean, somebody shoot me in the head. So just down, just down, just down. If you want to give me three downs, you give me three downs. Even though I didn't mean it like that. And then Jim Ross has to say, well, that is a big bra she's wearing. Bras. That was the theme of this entire story. Would a bunch of horny teenage boys like to see bras? Honestly, Peacock. Again, if you're watching, nix it. Just delete it. I don't even care. You can never account for anything on Raw back then, though, because next it was Val Venus versus Kurt Angle. I can't tell why. I, I really enjoyed it. Up. This is mostly because Angle had only been wrestling for three seconds, so to get to see him in such a rookie stage of his career is great. And of course before anything happens, Val Venus has to get a microphone and basically go p because that's all he ever did when he was cutting a promo. But Kurt outdoes him instantly, like I say, he's only debuted like three weeks prior to this and he just cuts the best heel interview you've ever heard in your life. He is such a good dick. As ever, there is interference because the British Bulldog just runs down there because he was feuding with Valvina's and he beats him up and hits him with a chair, which allows Kurt Angle to hit the Olympic Slam. and only does he get the one, two, three, but this was the Kurt Angle that no matter what win he would get, he would celebrate like he was winning at the Olympics again. Man, you could just see it in him. He was going to go to the top. The Rock then finally turns up on Raw. Now, given that Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to be out for a while, you think WWE would have done this earlier, but I assume their thinking was, hey, we'll leave him right towards the end of the show because people hang around. And given how much the fans lose it, they were probably correct. He, of course, is here to insult Al Snow because he catches him talking bad about The Great One and says he should take a hockey stick and stick it up his ass but yeah again the sheer eruption that you hear when rocky arrives on the screen it was nuts for him it was nuts for stone cold steve austin which is why it's dumb when in 2021 we we're like oh we just need to get a new rock and new stone cold it's ridiculous to get one of them to have two no wonder everything blew up it does mean we finally find out who is going to be the rock and mankind's mystery partner and of course it's not al snow it's kane because earlier, Degeneration X had beaten up his girl. It then follows all the stupidity that Raw has been doing on this evening. But, like, the star power is just so much higher, you can't help but like it.
0: Foley has his
1: ass whipped for a while, but what mostly surprised me here is that Billy Gunn spit on the rock. I'm like, Billy Gunn spitting on The Rock? Something doesn't click there, and it's probably why a year or so later, the People's Champ ruined Billy Gunn on the microphone when they were meant to be having a singles feud. The Rock also gets his instant revenge because he hits Billy Gunn with Rock Bottom, but it's actually Al Snow who comes out of top here, kinda. Because he goes after Degeneration X, which caused the disqualification, but more upsettingly for the Great One, meant that he just lost. Of course, Al Snow gets around about eight seconds of living at large. The Rock gives him the people's elbow and beats him up. It did get me thinking, though. Did we ever get The Rock versus Al Snow? I don't think we ever did somehow that doesn't seem right. The APA and the Dudleys are then fighting over poker or something, Linda Mann is all like, oh my gosh, Stephanie, you look so beautiful because she's seeing her in her wedding dress for the first time. And D-Generation X are happy about something. And I wonder what that could be. It does mean that we're straight into the wedding and the absolute funniest bit, well, there's Lowe's. For starters, the groomsmen are all wrestlers. So Edge is a groomsman, Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy are groomsmen. You're like, why? What the hell do they have to do with any of this? But also, when it's time for Tess to come out, he comes out to his entrance music. It hurts, people. It hurts. WWE you couldn't have made this guy a bigger dweeb if you tried. Steph comes out to the usual wedding song because I suppose she didn't have theme music here. Otherwise it would have gone, I'm all grown up. Yeah, and I listened and learned. And if that had have happened, I would have had to have turned it off because the laughter would have killed me. I mean, wrestling weddings are just a treat as well. We have to get through this terrible song performance of these two people just going together. We're going to be forever. And because I knew what was next it was like Triple H, you got to come out, Triple H, you got to come out now and stop this absolute fart. Test has also been told to pretend to cry and I'm like, what are you doing WWE, this is the era of Stone Cold Steve Austin, nobody wants to see Test cry, it doesn't make us like us anymore, we're all 16 and we're all like hocked up on hormones. The rest is all stalling of course because we're waiting for the vicar to go, if anybody knows any reason why these people shouldn't be wed, speak now or forever hold your peace and that's when Triple H's music hits. Well, you know what we get. And yes, once again, don't get mad at me, but we do cut to Triple H driving in Vegas with a drugged up Stephanie McMahon and he takes her to a wedding chapel. He literally acts as her voice. Oh, I'm Stephanie McMahon. He moves her chin up and down. But this vicar, he couldn't give two hoots and he says, hey, if you want to get married in this state and clearly one of you isn't even into it, I'm going to sign the deal. Triple H drives off. And the wedding is off. The other twist that nobody ever mentions, or at least I never mentioned, goes back to that dude who was serving the shots earlier. Because it turns out he was the cameraman here. So why did that never go anywhere? Surely Vincent Mann would have dragged his ass to Raw and basically tore him in two. I could be wrong. Maybe he does. But in my brain, you never see him again. He should be arrested. We cut back to the arena where Triple H now drops that infamous question of, how many times did we consummate the marriage? Honestly, just thank Flubbins, it turned out that Stephanie McMahon was also in cahoots with Triple H. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing? However, in this moment, Trips does become the biggest bad guy in the WWF. This is when World Wrestling Federation actually had long-term stories. And when we get to the pay-per-view and you realize, oh my gosh, they did it together. It is quite the moment. And you just can't help it. This is really fun. It's so stupid and daft to watch you got to give it it up. Which brings us to the end of a classic 1999 Raw. And honestly, we need to do more of these. It is so flippin' funny. And in case you've never watched the attitude era, but you've just heard about it, just pick one, probably from early 1998 to the end of 1999. There will be some kind of nonsense, and you will laugh, because really, the WWF, they didn't care.